we continue to expand testing. As we test more people, we will still find new cases in Oklahoma. But I want you to hear me. Our infection rate is going down. I want to take a moment to recognize the hard work of the public health workforce. These are our, our nurses, our nurse practitioners, our laboratory folks, uh, our folks that work the swap uh, drive throughs our support staff. They have worked tirelessly uh, on protecting the lives of Oklahomans. City Manager Norman McNichol saying someone threatened to use a gun, adding, quote, the city of Stillwater has attempted to keep people safe by the simple requirement to wear a face covering to protect others. It's unfortunate and distressing that those who refuse and threaten violence are so self-absorbed as to not follow what is a simple show of respect and kindness to others. On opening day, many restaurant heads say they didn't know what to expect, telling us some are comfortable coming out of quarantine and some are not. Following weeks of closed businesses, schools, and public spaces, nearly half of all states, including Oklahoma, lifted some closure orders this past weekend. Restaurants across the state opened on Friday, although some remained closed out of an abundance of caution or an inability to open quite yet because of funding constraints. But it wasn't a smooth process everywhere. As in Stillwater, the mayor altered his emergency order requiring residents to wear masks in public after businesses reported employees were threatened by angry customers, including with the use of a firearm. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. And on this week's podcast, I am joined by my colleague Cassie McClung to discuss what infectious disease experts are saying about the move to reopen businesses and the continued push to test more Oklahomans. This episode was recorded on Sunday, May 3rd. Hi, Cassie, how are you? Doing well, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Good weekend for myself, and I hope, hope the same for you and ready to start another week. Yeah, got to be outside a lot, so... That yeah. was refreshing. Yeah, good weather for it. And there's a few more places to worth leaving the house for if you're so inclined, I suppose, as uh, restaurants are allowed to reopen and movie mm. theaters and churches and, you know, whatever, whatever your heart desires. I, so, I guess to, to some extent, as I was coming into the studio today, I saw a, a tattoo parlor with a line out the door. Wow. Um, I'm sure they were probably limiting on how many they were letting in. So some scenes of normalcy, but at the same time, most of the restaurants where I live in urban Oklahoma city and maybe the same for you in Tulsa have not opened yet, especially a lot of the local right. ones for a variety of reasons. I, I say all this and I'm, I'm still not necessarily wanting to get out too much. I did, I did visit a hardware store and I've gone to the grocery store, but other than that, it still feels like a time of being very careful about where you go. Right. So the most I've gone out, like you said, I've gone to the grocery store and I've tried to get outside some, but you know, mostly still trying to practice that social distancing. And, you know, I don't want to knock people for going to restaurants, but part of me just still feels really guilty about, you know, going out and sitting at a restaurant. So I think I'm going to hold off for a few more weeks. Yeah. I mean, personally, I don't really, you know, Applebee's is open. Great. Um, the, the local <laughs> is it worth it? Yeah. The local <laughs> restaurant down the street that I would frequent is not open yet. And yeah. So I think when those restaurants do open, I may feel a little bit more of a sense of like, Hey, I'd love to go support them. Um, right. Because I know this is a really tough time. I guess what I'm saying is a lot of the restaurants we normally go to aren't open yet, so it's not that big of a temptation yet. And, uh, you know, we'll exactly. see how things feel a week or two from now. But uh, it hasn't necessarily been a smooth process. I mean, just, uh, I mentioned this in our intro mm -hmm. uh, for the, this week's episode, but uh, in Stillwater, 
the the city changed its executive order hours into the day because uh, they were requiring they were asked or requiring people to wear masks out mm -hmm. and uh, businesses that were kind of enforcing this order were just getting i guess you know threatened and verbally assaulted and including threatened with a firearm from yeah. angry customers who didn't have masks right and i have seen that story you know obviously in local media but i've seen it on time I've seen it on CNN. I've seen it in BuzzFeed News. I've just seen it everywhere. So um, looks like Oklahoma's, you know, we made national news again. So, well, some of the headlines I, I see say Oklahoma City and then it goes on and it's like, uh, make sure that city is not capitalized. <laughs> make sure right. Yeah, I saw that, too. People know that. Yeah. But, e but even in a college town like Stillwater, maybe you would expect it not to be quite as quite like that. But, uh, but yeah. By that. Yeah. So we are transitioning back into this, uh, you know, back into reopening establishments. It's it's mm -hmm. not going smooth everywhere, but uh, you know, I guess that's that's somewhat to be be expected. Right. Um. So Cassie, you wrote last week that in the story that as Oklahomans we're entering this new phase to reopen businesses and send some people back to work. Um, officials and health experts say that the state has to continue to ramp up its testing, its contact tracing, and isolation efforts in order to lower the risk of the coronavirus. So um, let's discuss that right out of the gate here. So as we reopen, these are kind of three key areas, testing, tracing, and isolation that health experts are saying are, are still very important. Are okay. we doing what health experts say we need to be doing in, in those three areas? And let's start with testing. Yeah, so our testing is going up, you know, quite significantly, as you know too, because you've, you've reported quite a bit on testing as well. So the state is still trying to bolster its testing capacity. And so just for a little bit of context, as of Friday, the state had done more than 70,000 tests. And on April 2nd, it had only done around 35, not April 2nd, April 18th, it had only done around 35,000. So that's, you know, doubled in just about two weeks. But if you look at it, I mean, so... We've done, the state's done 70,000 tests, and most of those are unique, uh, unique individuals, but some of those are on the same person. So we can't look at that and automatically say we've tested 70,000 people. So these are people but, who've gone back, who've done the test once and maybe gone back a couple weeks later? Yeah. So how it's supposed to work ideally would be people need to test negative twice before they could be considered recovered. But with the, I guess, amount of tests available that hasn't really been, you know, hasn't been a realist realistic. So not everyone has been able to do that. But there are some people who have. And um, I, even if that was unique, so 70,000, that's way under 2% of our population. Um, and the state, you know, the state recognizes that there still has not been enough testing done. So Health Commissioner Gary Cox said Thursday during a news conference where he announced a few other initiatives as well, that by the end of May, the goal is to have tested more than 2% of the state's population would be about 90,000 people. So a little less than 20,000 more tests that have been completed so far, you know, which 20,000 at this rate seems achievable, but it's kind of, you know, still less than 2% of the state's population. And you also have to consider that, and I talked to an infectious disease expert about this last week, that every time, you know, someone tests negative, we're only getting a snapshot of that moment of time. Yeah. Just because someone tests negative once doesn't mean 
they'll always test negative. Um, so yeah, continued testing is going to be really important moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, early on, a lot of the focus was on the lack of testing because mm -hmm. of the state and, and the health department not having enough tests and not conducting enough tests. And that's evolved over time as they've started, as they've expanded those efforts. And then there was the, these drive through centers all across the state. And, you know, the governor, you know, at first was saying, if you have severe symptoms, get tested. And then he said, if you have any symptoms or been around anybody. And, and now we're to the point where they're saying, if anyone wants a test, they should go mm -hmm. get a test, regardless of what your situation or your, or your symptoms are. So if you're listening right. to this and you have no symptoms, but you're just curious, the state is saying to go do this. Your story, when you talked about the goal that they have to reach 90,000, there's a graph in that story that shows how many tests were, were completed in Oklahoma starting at the beginning of April. And, it, you know, mm -hmm. it, the, the line starts at about 11,000 and it goes up to where we are now at 70,000. So you're right. When you think about reaching 90,000 by the end of May, looking at, at that graph, it seems like it would be a piece of cake. But I wonder, are we going to, are we entering a month now where, because testing right now appears to be predicated on people coming to get tested, are fewer mm -hmm. people going to feel inclined to go get tested? I mean, as things open up, are people going to have a, a sense of, of, you know, safety maybe that they didn't have when they were cooped up in their house and they were seeing all these images and reports of how bad it was thinking that, you know, if, if they've got a cold that maybe it could be the coronavirus or I just, I, I wonder mm -hmm. how, is it because we're going to see fewer people go out and try to get tested over this next month than maybe we saw over the last month? Right. That's, that's a good question. And I, I've been wondering that myself with, you know, it almost seems like, there's been a shift in the tone of seriousness, um, I guess, overall from coronavirus now that things are starting to open up. And I didn't include this in my story, but um, one of the epidemiologists I spoke with at um, OU was telling me just anecdotally that he's noticed people since the announcement was made by Governor Kevin Stitt of the plans to start reopening the economy, um, that he's noticed less people wearing face masks in public. And he said even after the governor made that announcement, he noticed um, that streets were busier, more people are out and about. It just seemed like there was a little bit of shift in attitude uh, towards this pandemic. So I am curious if maybe people won't be as, um, I guess, mindful about maybe going out to get these tests. But we'll we'll see in the coming weeks. Yeah, I mean, when things are open again, it's, it's easy to think that maybe we're past this, that the worst is beyond mm -hmm. us. Now, of course, if someone gets sick, and, and they're feeling those some severe symptoms, you know, and the, for that person in the moment, it's going to feel pretty serious. But, for yeah. you know, I, I you know, I I'm, was the same way last month. I mean, I felt like I, I never had any symptoms. Um, you know, I think my allergies would get to me and I would always wonder in the back of my mind. So there but there were a few moments where I thought, well, should I go tested? Maybe I want to maybe even just mm -hmm. to be safe. Uh, you know, of course, I didn't want that swab shoved up my nose. So that yeah. <laughs> prevented me from just going to do it on a whim. Uh -huh. But. I don't necessarily feel that way today. Like I'm like where I just have this curiosity to test myself. Um, not to say that I feel like it's, it's that the worst is over by any means or that mm -hmm. we're still not a serious situation, but I think you're right. I think you start to see that shift in how people look at it. We've all been in high school and we all know that even though school doesn't end to the end of May, six weeks out, people are already shifted towards, you know, especially when you're a senior towards already, already being out of school. So that mind shift d are, does happen. Um, uh, you know, especially right when the governor announces we're going to be opening, even though there were still a couple of weeks to go. So we have right. seen, we've seen testing go up. Uh, what about contact tracing? Because this is also an important element uh, for the state. Yeah. And contact tracing is something I haven't talked a lot about. And now that I mean, it's always been so important. But now that 
we're trying to open up the state, you know, it, it's getting even maybe they're really trying to ramp it up now. So contact tracing, just uh, for a little background, it's a public health tool and it's used to try to contain the spread of a disease, you know, in this case, COVID-19. So basically a public health professional will identify or get like some information report about someone who has tested positive. So they'll call that sick patient and try to figure out who all they came into close contact with so they can get those people that they came in contacted with isolated and tested as well. So just knowing those contacts is really important to figure out who the disease might be spreading to and in what areas. So it really is quite the undertaking. And I didn't realize how involved this process was until I started reporting on it. But it can take a long time. So investigators might have to contact 10 to 15 to even 40 people per infected person. And each investigation could last several hours or even several days. So um, right now, a quick look at Oklahoma's workforce of contact tracers. There are 150 people doing that job. And then the Oklahoma City County Health Department and the Tulsa Health Department are both their own separate independent entities from the state health department. So combined, they have a little under 50 contact tracers between the two of them. So the state's working with about 200 contact tracers right now. And it's kind of hard to tell whether that's a lot or little without context, but I did a little bit of digging on that. So national groups have come out and recommended that there should be 30 tracers per 100,000 people during a pandemic. So Oklahoma right now with its current workforce has under four tracers per 100,000 residents, but that might change here in the coming weeks. Um, the health department announced Thursday that it's planning to grow the number of tracers um, pretty significantly. So they're working with OU, OSU and the National Guard and training some other people on their own. So the goal is to get that number up to about 1,000. And in that case, I think there'd be a little under 30 per um, 100,000. So it'd be closer to that national recommendation if um, the state was able to reach that point. And important to get more contact tracers to get that number up, but also important, as you had in your story, because maybe to relieve some of this duty from uh, nurses who are doing this work as contact tracers yeah. and having to kind of juggle their other duties, especially during this time? Right. So, you know, we have all of these rural uh, county health departments across the state, and a lot of those aren't, you know, we know the health department that they're running at 100% all the time anyways, especially in these rural areas. So, yeah, a lot of these nurses are juggling their normal roles, roles, along with trying to do this contact tracing. And in some of these counties, cases are really picking up, especially in these counties where nursing homes have been hit, which might be a little bit easier for the investigation. But, um, you know, numbers as they rise in county, rural counties, I'm sure they're seeing that workload increase. Yeah. Well, the third kind of important element that you kind of outlined was, you know, continued isolation efforts. So, even at a time mm -hmm. right now that we're seeing businesses reopen, um, 
you know, public officials are still urging people to practice social distancing for those who have symptoms or especially if you've contracted the virus to, you know, self-isolate. But what are what are some of these isolation efforts? What do they what do they look like, especially at this time when uh, when people are starting to get out of their house more? Yeah. So that really goes hand in hand with the tracing and testing. So the isolating efforts really are nothing without tracing and testing efforts being up to par. So, you know, obviously, once you test positive for COVID-19, you need to go into isolation for at least 14 days. And that's, you know, you have to make sure you're symptom-free, fever-free. So, you know, health officials, professionals have been saying that since the virus started emerging in the state, that if you have COVID-19, you need to isolate yourself in your home, you know, try to stay away from other people. And even if you can, I've heard some doctors recommending like if you have a spare room or a guest room even trying to stay away from your family mm. so and then same thing with tracing um so the tracing efforts say um someone i knew had covid19 and i was around them so my health care professional might recommend that i get tested but they're definitely going to recommend that i, I self-quarantine myself i guess i should say for the next two weeks so, again, the isolating part of this is equally as important, I would, I could argue, as tracing and testing. But it really can't be done without good tracing and testing efforts because that's how the state is going to, I guess, identify who needs to be isolated, if that makes sense. No, it is. And isolation is the goal of all this. I mean, that is yeah. to identify cases, to identify cases that, so there can be treatment if, if there are some other factors involved that require, like, hospitalization you know, treatment, but for those that contract the virus to be able to identify themselves and to, you know, to stay out of public, especially as public, as, as the public becomes more, more active in, in the coming weeks. And, mm -hmm. and you, you're also seeing that with like, for example, restaurants that are opening up, not just with the social distancing standards that they're putting in place with lower occupancies and tables spread apart, but uh, there's some restaurants that are taking the temperature of not just employees, but of, of customers that are coming in. So these, there's still a lot of this that's kind of dependent. If businesses are going to open up, I think businesses take on a lot more of a responsibility, especially mm -hmm. in this isolation piece. Right, exactly. And I know Oklahoma City and Tulsa each have, I think, stricter guidelines, or I don't even think they're guidelines, I think they're rules than the state has done. So we are, I think, kind of seeing that patchwork of regulations that some of the medical associations raised concerns with early on because mayors can kind of decide if they want to be stricter than the state is. Um, they can't be less lenient, but the state is implementing more of guidelines than requirements as far as, you know, I guess what restaurants should be doing right now to try to keep COVID out of their establishments. Yeah. And then finally, I want to ask you about, uh, you know, this idea of us passing the peak. So, so much of our attention mm -hmm. early on during this pandemic was the coming peak, you know, that, that curve and trying to flatten the curve is when is the peak coming? And we heard from different models, even from the state that, you know, the peak was going to be, you know, quite severe here in Oklahoma and that it was mm -hmm. going to be coming, you know, weeks down the road. And then it seemed like with a snap of a finger, we were hearing from the governor that, Hey, the peak's behind us. We're trending downward. And that's why I'm starting to think about reopening establishments and businesses. So the question is to you now, I mean, as you continue to track this, do we still feel like we have passed the peak here in Oklahoma? So and I've talked to experts about this, um, epidemiologists, infectious disease experts, and 
they do think that we've hit a peak in hospitalizations, but not necessarily the peak. So there can be multiple peaks, if that makes sense. Um, so just because we did see, you know, the highest number we've seen so far, I think it was in late March in hospitalizations, doesn't mean that, you know, as restrictions start to ease, that cases won't pick up again, we won't see another surge, and we could, you know, start seeing more hospitalizations. And that's what the experts I talked with last week really emphasized, that just because it looks like things are trending downward, or at least plateauing, for now, doesn't mean they won't start going up again. So there has there has been a peak, but there could be another one um, to kind of sum it up. And it does look like, so the state is record well, they're tracking new cases and kind of how, you know, aside from hospitalizations, how many new cases the state is seeing. And they're recording it on a seven-day rolling average, which is helpful just because it shows trends of the virus over time and de-emphasizes the daily swings in the data we see sometimes. So, and I'll go through the data quick because I'm always worried about it not translating well over audio. But um, so on Sunday, there were 3,972 known cases in the state for a seven-day average of about 103 cases. And that average hasn't been that high since April 14th, when it was about 105. So there has been an uptick in the seven-day average over the past few days. And just to add more context, though, at the same time, the state has been testing more people. And the percentage of positive tests compared to the number of people tested has been going down, which infectious disease experts say is a good thing because it shows it's a sign of more widespread testing, you know, as that number goes down. Because as of Saturday, positives made up about 5.47 of all test results. But in mid-April, that number was 7.2%. So seeing that number trend down is a good thing. It doesn't mean necessarily that there's less infections in the state, but it does signal that more people are being tested. Yeah. And, and once again, when it comes to what the governor and the Department of Health are looking at in terms of uh, influencing their decisions about whether or not to pull the reins back on reopening businesses mm -hmm. or to reverse course, they're saying they're focused primarily on hospitalizations and not just is the number going up or going down, but is the number mm -hmm. of hospitalizations within the capacity of the Oklahoma health system to handle. And according to the numbers that they're sharing and pointing to, they say that's still the case. So even mm -hmm. though we may see some trends going up when it comes to new cases or deaths or even hospitalizations, that's not necessarily what the state is looking at when it comes to making decisions about what to what to reopen and, and, and whether to go back to where we were. Right, exactly. And even though there was an increase in that seven-day average I was talking about, the reported hospitalizations still have been on a downward trend. Um, I think on Friday, the state was at 236 hospitalizations, and that's the lowest it's been since at least uh, at least March 30th. So it's it's trending downward, and I so far there hasn't been any indication that it's going back up. But you know that could change over the next few weeks. That's so just something 
we're going to have to keep an eye on. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of experts, officials in the state are watching that as well. Yeah. And, and the risk with putting your, your focus on that number, at least the, the risk from a public relations standpoint, which obviously mm-hmm. shouldn't be the priority of health officials and, and government officials. But if we do see that number go up, which we could as we start opening things, you know, opening businesses up and people start going more out in public, we may see the number of hospitalizations go up and it will be really easy for people to look at the the downward trend of hospitalizations and then a few days of it going up, you know, maybe mm-hmm. going up significantly to say, hey, we made a mistake. Um, whether or not we did or not, that is not enough. What the governor has told us, that is not enough for him to reverse course, that he's still just looking at what's our capacity to handle handle that load. But uh, of course, right. the health experts that you've talked to have said, hey, we, we should still be mindful of, of a second wave later on, even though things may seem like they're getting better. And, you know, I know talking to, you know, even you know, school leaders who are who are getting ready to prepare for the fall are, are still putting in plans on on not going back. Uh, not that they think mm-hmm. that that's likely, but the, even they are, are putting together plans on what would it be like if they still have to continue the, the distance learning program, um, you know, into August and September. Yeah. So speaking of schools, we talked about this a little bit before we started, but now that summer's you know right around the corner and school's about to end or at least the online distance learning is coming to an end. Kind of, How is that looking? Yeah, a lot of schools, this is their last week of school, at least in Oklahoma City and mm-hmm. some other districts, they changed their date, they moved it up. So May 8th will be the last day of school. And of course, students have been out for, for, for several weeks, or at least out of, of physical school buildings. The big challenge has always been, how do you assign work? How do you assign assignments? How do you do lessons with kids that are not in front of a teacher, not in a classroom, not in a building? For some, mm-hmm. that may be pretty simple because they already have laptops issued by the school or technology at home. You know, many kids do, especially in some suburb, big suburban districts, but that's not always the case, maybe in an urban setting or especially in rural areas. So, you know, schools have had to try to figure out how do you juggle this desire to want to continue to offer some type of rigorous education, but knowing that there's an equity issue if, if not everyone is able to, to, to plug in, so to speak, right. on, on what you're offering. A lot of schools, and I had a story about this late last week, uh, taking a look at what does grading look like right now? What does it look like for kids that are still trying to complete, mm-hmm. you know, finish some credits in order to graduate? And, you know, some of the schools that I talked to had said that that's their number one focus, that when that, when things shut down, their priority was focusing on those kids who were still short uh, a credit or short a grade in order to walk across the graduation stage. I talked to a right. principal at U.S. Grant High School in South Oklahoma City, and he said, he said, you know, it's a little bit different this year because of the distance learning aspect, but at the same time, it's not too different. He said, because at this time of year, we're always having to, his words, drag kids across the, gra- you know, the finish line of, of graduation. So, right. um, you know, for kids that were, uh, you know, behind in a class when schools shut down, uh, you know, teachers were told to extend a lot of grace and mm-hmm. a lot of flexibility and trying to find out, okay, what are some assignments we can assign and a lot of those assignments aren't being graded with like a traditional, you know, A, B, C, D, F grade. A lot of them are just being graded on a, a participation or, or non-participation grade. Okay. Some schools are doing what's called a 50-based grading system. So if you had a zero on an assignment when schools shut down, they went ahead and filled it in with a 50 just to kind of mm. give you a, a stronger foundation of which to, which to build off of. And so I think I know some people are, you know, some parents, you know, feel like that, what the schools have been offering hasn't amounted to much that their that their kids are falling behind or they have not been stimulated by schools and you know there, there's definitely some truth to that because schools are limited yeah. on what they can do 
But for many schools, their priority right now has been focusing on those kids who, who needed to um, kind of kick it into gear in the final months of the, of the school year in order to graduate or advance a grade. Right. That makes sense. So they're working with those kids a little bit more probably than they normally would. But, you know, if they did it, I feel like there would probably be a high risk of these kids just kind of dropping off the map, right? Especially those who might not graduate without a little bit of leniency. Yeah. And, you know, and I've asked some educators, both at the state level and district levels, hey, are you expecting to see like a decrease in, or an increase in graduation rates this year? Mm-hmm. Or, or, I mean, just, how is this going to impact some of those those numbers that we look at, you know, graduation rates or reading sufficiency act or reading sufficiency uh, passing rates for third graders. And then he said they don't think they're going to see much of a change, at least not a significant one caused by this. You know, I was talking to one high school teacher who said for kids that are struggling to graduate, there's a lot of factors at play. I mean, there it could be a challenging home environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're still trying to catch up from years of being behind and being underserved in some other school settings. You know, sometimes it is just a factor of like motivation and, and engagement. Yeah. And, you know, this this teacher that I was talking to said that engagement is hard in an era of distance learning, but it's it can still be hard with kids even when they're, you know, have a class to show up to. So it was interesting mm-hmm. to me talking to educators who said, yeah, it's it's very different, obviously, in, in the fact that we've had to close down buildings. But in some ways, uh, this is what we'd be doing at this time of year anyways. And, and most schools were... You know, this would have been the time of year when you would have been or the last uh, quarter of the year would have been focused on testing. Those those federal and state mandated tests went away with the closure of buildings. So it did allow some schools to kind of uh, shift its focus without having to worry about the testing a- aspect of it. Right. Right. And so once I guess summer vacation starts, kids start, you know, school starts back up sometime in August. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Has, what has the discussion been like around that, you know, kind of what school might look like? Are there any plans or I guess are they just waiting it out and seeing what things look like in a few months? Well, I think a lot of districts are are putting together plans on, on what it would be like if distance learning has to continue into the next school year. Now, mm-hmm. I think most believe that that's not going to be what we see, um, especially if we continue to trend in the direction that you know, health officials say we are, at least mm-hmm. to the point where we can open establishments, open schools. Um, but district said that, uh, you know, we got to put these plans in place because maybe we're not able to reopen our school sure. buildings. Or maybe we are and another wave hits later in the fall or later in the school year. Or maybe we have isolated cases because, you know, some school officials have said, we know that if at one school it's reported that a cafeteria worker uh, contracted COVID-19, they know that you know parents are going to pull their kids out of that school, and, and that the school may need to, to act. So maybe a, a, a specific school is closed down for a week or two mm-hmm. and, and go undergoes kind of a deep cleaning. So I think schools are putting together all these scenarios that they've never really felt like they had to in the past um, with the hopes that things will open up like normal next year. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I saw, I think it was the University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State University are going to resume their fall classes yeah, and so I think a lot of so, yeah, a lot of people are taking the position that we're going to be able to do this in the fall. And I guess yeah, I and mean, once again, I guess you can't blame people for feeling that way when you're seeing restaurants open up and and churches reopening, mm-hmm. and and even though there's still a little bit of unease about it, uh, August feels like a long, you know, a long ways away, especially in this uh, 
in this era. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think schools are, you know, as always, you're, you know, you're hoping for the best and, and planning for the worst. And I would expect that the, the State Department of Education um, is going to kind of ramp up their plans on what kind of guidance they may offer, depending on what the situation looks like in, in August. Uh, right. Yeah. And, uh, and I know it's, you know, I know it's a tough, a, a tough, uh, tough time, especially for seniors and, you know, who aren't going to have the traditional graduation and, mm-hmm. um, you know, those final days of schools. Cassie, I don't know what you were like, let's end on this, but I was the kind of student that I would have, I would have enjoyed the fact that schools closed. Um, I, you know, I yeah. like education, <laughs> I like studying, I, but high school wasn't my favorite. So I, I don't know that I would be too mournful, but, but I get it why a lot of kids would be. Oh, no, definitely. And I was kind of the same way. Um, I went to my high school graduation, but it was more for my parents than (laughs) for anyone. I could have probably skipped it and been okay. But, you know, for I know, you know, for a lot of students, that moment means a lot. So I could understand the, you know, the frustration and the sadness surrounding missing that event. Yeah, there's a good chance if we have any high school seniors that listen to this podcast, it'd be great if we did. I'm not sure if we, that would if we be have amazing. too many, but um, <laughs> I, I get how it, this is, a, and if this is a tough time, you should mourn it. I mean, I'm not saying that, mm-hmm. that kids shouldn't. I mean, um, you know, high school graduation is important for so many seniors. Um, but you yeah. know what? In five, 10 years, this will be something that you look back on, kind of a story you get to tell your own kids. And, um, you know, I don't remember much of my high school graduation. So um, a significant yeah. yet insignificant moment. And, in, in my life. And so I, I would have been one of those kids that would have been, you know, Hey, at least for me personally, this is my, uh, my summer vacation started sooner. I would have nowhere to go, but it would have, <laughs> it would have started sooner. Yeah, no, I, I could have seen myself being the same way. I wasn't, I got, I was really involved in, into my college life, but I never, I never was in high school. I don't know what changed, but college definitely, um, for me at least was, way more significant than high school. Yeah. So maybe that would have been tougher if you were, you were a senior in college or, or, or yeah. a student in college. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Well, um, we're entering kind of a new phase here in Oklahoma. Like I said, with businesses reopening, it's going to be interesting to see how that mm-hmm. rolls out and how the numbers respond to that. So are we going to see cases go up? Are we going to see hospitalizations go up? Or are we going to continue to trend in a positive direction on that front. And Cassie will know you'll, you'll be on top of it. So uh, uh, thanks for, thanks for the conversation this week. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for this week's episode of COVID-19 in Oklahoma. We will have another episode next Monday or sooner if big news breaks related to the coronavirus. The opening of today's episode included audio from the Oklahoman and KOCO. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy. I'll be back with you next week.